Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Belated Box Office Podcast, a podcast where Jeff and Pat talk about movies, even though they have absolutely zero business doing so. I'm sure one of these days, nobody will see this, uh, but one director might, and they'd get really yeah. pissed. <laughs> these guys have no business critiquing <laughs> my film. Um, so for that reason alone, we're going to continue doing that. And uh, we had a, a really good time this week with this week's movie. Pat, why don't you tell everybody what we watched this week? Uh, this week we watched A Fistful of Dollars, released in 1964, uh, with a lot of different uh, uh, production companies partnered, um, starring Clint Eastwood, uh, Gian Maria Volonte, Maria Koch, and Jose Calvo. It was written by Victor Andres Catena and directed by the great Sergio Leone. So uh, the uh, the fistful of dollars is the first appearance by uh, Clint Eastwood's character, the man with no name. Uh, the man with no name. Uh, at the beginning of this film shows up in a, a border town in Mexico uh, called San Miguel. Um, he friends an innkeeper named Silvanito, and he finds it uh, to be uh, basically just a big lawless uh, hellscape of a town uh, that's uh, run by some feuding smuggler families. Uh, the Roepole brothers on one side, and then the Baxters on the other, which which includes the the corrupt Sheriff Baxter. Um, so the man decides he's going to play the families against each other to try to get as much money from them as he can. He does this by begins by joining the Rojos as a as a hired gun, uh, while selling information to the Baxters. Uh, then he meets a woman named Marisol who lives with uh, the leader Ramon Rojo. He he learns that. Uh, Ramon is basically keeping the woman hostage and keeping away from her husband and her young son. Um, so uh, the man uh, ambushes Marisol's guards uh, one night, uh, rescues her, and, and gives her all the her and her family all the money that he's uh, that he's earned from both the both the smuggler families there, and uh, tells him to get out of town. Now, Ramon Rojo is enraged by this, and uh, he starts to uh, massacre the whole town looking for the man, including killing all the Baxters, because he believes they're, they're hiding him. Um, and the man uh, spends some time uh, hiding out from town until he learns that his friend Silvanito, the innkeeper, is, uh, is being uh, tortured by Ramon for information on him. So he shows up uh, back in town uh, wearing a, a steel plate uh, underneath his poncho over his heart. Uh, so Ramon... Tries to gun him down with his Winchester repeater. Um, keeps shooting him in the heart, but of course he keeps getting up. And then there's a really cool classic Western showdown where he just shoots everybody. And then he does what Western heroes do when he just rides off into the sunset. <laughs> the end. What a finish, too, eh? I better not stick yeah. around. And he just trots trots away on his horse. Yeah, that's how they do it. That's um, It's like any... Uh, any Western, really, or most of the most of the old ones, uh, a mysterious stranger shows up in some town. He finds it to be like a lawless town. There's a corrupt sheriff, or there's banditos or something. He just kicks ass and takes names for like 90 minutes. Then he's like, all right, I'm out. Yeah. And then he just takes off, rides now, his mule off into the sunset. <laughs> this movie starring Clint Eastwood, this is one of his like big... Uh, motion picture debuts, right? I think this is the the first movie where he was the the lead role, I believe. And uh, I think anyone who knows any of his films now, they kind of know him as a badass. Probably started off with this film and the the trilogy that followed after. 
uh, I wasn't sure what to expect when I first started watching it. Because, like, you know, he's got oh, yeah. that mean mug, and he's just like, I love it. Somebody said his, his only two expressions in this film are are uh, angry and angry with a hat. So, like, <laughs> so I thought that was a, a really good take, because I'm like, yeah, it's true. Like, he looks angry the whole time, but there was there was one point in the movie, at the very beginning, basically, where I was like, oh, no, he's going to have this whole, like, character development that turns him into a badass. Like, he has to be a badass because it, his life depends on it. But that was short-lived after he... Uh, ends up shooting the four guys that kind of chased him off in the street when he first pulls up to San Miguel. So he yep. shows up in this this town, and these guys are like, get out of here, gringo, and they're not really a fan of him. And they shoot by his horse's feet, and his horse gets scared, and they kind of... You know, that was the end of that scene. I'm like, man, this is going to suck. Like, he's already running away from the bad guys. Like, I had envisioned as soon as they started shooting at him, he would have just, like, stopped his horse, turned around mid-gunfire, and been like, you want a piece of me, punk? And do you feel lucky? Because that's my favorite line of his... And just started, right? But uh, it didn't happen. So I had a moment of like, oh, shit. I don't know if this is going to be the Western that I was expecting it to be. But I wasn't uh, disappointed because uh, it wasn't too long after that. He pulled off the whole, I'm a badass cowboy with a quick draw, and I will shoot this many people before they can even get their guns drawn. So I was pretty, I was pretty happy yeah. about that. Um, this is a spaghetti Western. Or in Japan, what do what they call it? A macaroni western. I think yeah. There's I, I a gotta, bunch of names like yeah. that all are vaguely racist, which makes me think like maybe we shouldn't be saying spaghetti western anymore. But yeah, that's the term for it: spaghetti western. Some people call them mass macaroni westerns. Um, yeah. Apparently, if they're made in Spain instead of Italy, or made by this was filmed in Spain, but if they're made by a Spanish director, people call them paella westerns. I mean, it, and it's that's, fitting. But you know what's it, ironic about that is it was actually a Spanish critic who started calling all these westerns coming out of Italy spaghetti westerns. Because obviously western movies are set in uh, the ideal manifest destiny of, you know, America conquering the west and the lawless yeah. west of America and in North America and all that. And then obviously a big deal with Mexico and border towns and that whole issue there. Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously you can't, I, I guess nowadays it wouldn't really matter where it was made. Like, if somebody from Italy made a Western today, they wouldn't be like, oh, spaghetti Western. It would just be a Western. But I guess it was so prominent in Italy. Like, they just really, they really got behind this idea of Western films. That they started making yes. a bunch of them. So it was kind of like, okay, to differentiate between a Hollywood kind of Western film and a... Uh, an Italian Western film, we got to give it a name. So I guess this critic's just like, bah, it's just another friggin' spaghetti Western. I'm assuming he didn't like it. You know what I mean? And like to stuck. give it a name like that. <laughs> but it's stuck. Joke's on him because now we stay that and there's people that are like, man, fuck it. You, you watch spaghetti Westerns? I love spaghetti Westerns. Right? There, there's something like that to be Spanish said critic, That Spanish critic would be like, no, it's not a term of endearment. I meant it as a slur. <laughs> just rolling in his grave like, it backfired. Just so disappointed yeah, in himself. Um, so yeah, fistful of dollars, man. Like this was, uh, like uh, these kind of movies in Italy, I'm, I'm sure they, uh, they did the best they could in terms of securing budgets and stuff like that. But when you look at budget versus box office, man, this movie was an absolute home run. Um, the budget yeah. was, was roughly $200,000. So again, working with one of the lowest budgets that we've, you know, of any movie we've reviewed on the podcast and it came out with huge returns. 
Uh, now, yeah. granted, the returns were mostly made in North America, Canada, and the U.S., but it roughly box officed about $14.5 million. Yeah, that's massive. You know what I mean? This, this you is those... less than a quarter million. and Yeah. And that that's huge. It's like somebody coming somewhere up that, to you in the uh... street and just being like, if you give me 20 today, I will give you $100,000 tomorrow. And you're like, no, shut up. And they're like, no, seriously. And then... You give it to them, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it just seems like an internet scam. Or, like, just a scam in oh, general. Yeah. Like, to have... Like, let me guess, you're a Nigerian prince, and yeah, da, 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 I know what's going you on. You mean here. all I have to do is pay the taxes, and you're going to make me a blockbuster film that should gross millions and millions of dollars? It's like, yeah, yeah, I can do that for you. But you have to pay the taxes first. Mm-hmm. I'll send them. Um, this, <laughs> this movie, it was, was kind of weird. I got, I got a few mixed reviews, um... For the most part, good. So, like, IMDb gave it a you know an eight out of ten, which is a really solid rating for a, a 1964 spaghetti western because it is very much its own kind of genre of film. Uh, Metacritic, it seemed like they kind of shit on it. They only gave it a 65. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it was unanimous. Uh, the critics and the audience both both enjoyed it quite a bit. So the uh, the critics were were much much nicer i wouldn't even say nicer the, the critics were just a, a much higher rating of this film than the audience was so the critics had a 98 percent approval rating or freshness rating and the audience came in with a 91 but still outshoots uh any other kind of you know rating i could find online so i was i was impressed by those ratings um i thought they were maybe a little a little high praised but uh it I think they're pretty much on par. I think if you were to average all of these three sources I pulled up, you'd find that perfect medium where uh, where most people would sit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was enough to um, it was enough to get like a couple of sequels, and one one of them being the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which is one of the most celebrated movies ever, um, or was at the time for sure. Yeah, and uh, and it kind of. You know these these movies with Clint Eastwood playing the man with no name kind of made uh, made Sergio Leone like uh, I think it's the the thing he's known for to this day. It's it's what makes him kind of gives him kind of legend status. There were a few like Sergio Leone boards and forums I found, kind of just going through looking up some uh, some facts that I was looking through and just double checking some stuff. And yeah, I'm not surprised, man. I mean, like I get like he just he did he did this really well. He did a really good job of taking a small budget. And just crushing it, yeah. Uh, like they're like when I watched this movie, like it was. So it's obviously compared to the westerns that would be coming out within the past, you know, ten twenty years. It's uh, it's dated, but it's not so dated that it's like, oh man, this is just cheesy and hard to watch. Like it was actually it was it was entertaining. Oh, for sure, I, I I really quite enjoyed the film. It was a, it was a very simple premise really easy to follow like there wasn't any complex nuances in the movie where you're like oh my god i can't believe that just happened like everything just fell into place really well it was really easy to follow and uh yeah there were some just enjoyable. Uh, not, not a ton of twists and turns i did get a little um confused with when he was laying the soldiers in the uh in the graveyard like the dead mexican soldiers i was like wait what, what's he doing now like i got a little bit yeah uh, lost on his his plot yeah, well, but wasn't exactly even there, he's just kind of sober like, when I was watching the movie. Yeah, he was saying. I think he said something like, uh, "Yeah, he he basically just compliments how uh, the effectiveness of dead people." You know what I mean? He's like, "Ah, these dead people, like dead people, have done more for me than the living." Sometimes in some situations, sure. and he's like, "In that well, way, he does he, it so he that can't kill uh, him again." He does it so that uh, 
the the Baxters and the Rojos both believe that there's going to be that like there are some soldiers survive the attack. Like there's the yeah. ambush that that Ramon carries out on the uh, Mexican soldiers just to take their wagon full of gold, and yeah. um, and so the Baxters want to get the Mexican soldiers to testify and take the Rojos out, and then the Rojos want obviously want to take out the Mexican soldiers before they can testify, but. Yeah. They're dead. They're just corpses. It's just something that man with no name is has has done as a ruse. It, it was a good He's one. He's pulling off ruses. It was a good. So one. this was uh this was the first time for you, right? Absolute, absolute first time. And I actually tell you the truth, I haven't seen any of the movies in the in this what spurred a trilogy. So I haven't seen a fistful more, and I haven't seen yeah, the have. good, the bad, and the ugly. You've seen a, a few dollars more. We watched that back in the day. How drunk was that? I guess you weren't exactly sober. Either. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. No, no more than usual. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you pop it on at like 10.30 at night before we go to the bars. Like, okay, we'll go at midnight. We're just we're going to watch this film first, like 8 to 12 beers deep already. Yeah, that, yeah, it would have been a long time ago. Tell you the truth, yeah, there was a, there, there was a, lot, of, a lot of hazy days back then in the, uh, the old university days. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't really remember it. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen bits and pieces of... Uh, uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly on AMC. Again, American classic movies, oh, yeah. even though it's probably, well, it's Italian. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was, uh, yeah. So I've seen these kind of bits with Clint, Clint Eastwood, but, I mean, I always knew he was kind of a badass. I think uh, he, he's demonstrated that in almost every movie he's done. There was a More new movie that came out, and I think it's, like, kind of showing how it's, like, it's almost like a end-of-his-life proliferation or, you know, a... a Whatever, an epiphany where he's just like, uh, "Oh, it's not always good to be a badass, but I'm still gonna be a badass in this movie." <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, this really spurred it. And like I said, this is one of his first like major roles, and apparently he yeah. was only paid like fifteen thousand dollars. Now in yeah, nineteen sixty four, that's a I'm sure that's a good chunk of money, but I mean, not that's a decent salary for like yeah a regular Joe trying to make ends meet, but for like a movie star. Yeah, obviously, you got to think like, I mean, I didn't look it up. I, I probably should have. I just the thought came to my mind. Like, I wonder what they paid Connery to do uh, Goldfinger. You know what I mean? But uh, anyways, right. don't have Connery those. Connery got more than 15,000. I, more than I 15, would think so. For I think he probably oh, yeah. got at least a $15,000 signing bonus just for being like, I'll be in your film, but just give me some cash. Yeah, now. Just, just for <laughs> showing up to sign the contract. He was like, hey, hit me with $15,000 real quick. He's like, do you know who I am? I'm like, yes, we know who you are. He's like, good, give me money. $15,000 to be exact. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you, you were looking at it like you were worried it was going to be like one prolonged kind of origin story. That that was my initial like, concern. Yeah. Like, it was weird, though, because, like, you see him. So, like, the first scene when he's getting water from the well, like, just a random well, he's kind of like, ah, here's a couple of random houses outside of a town, and I'm thirsty. I'm going to drink some water. I was like, shit's going down. And he's got that mean look on his face and his cowboy hat's on. And he kind of sees the guy shooting at the kid's feet to go away. And it's like, okay, here we go. Let's get into it, man. He's just going to start blasting bad people. Let's do it. And it didn't happen. I was like, all right, he looks like he's ready not to yet. kill everybody, but he's not going to. And then he goes into the town and then they scare him off. And I'm like, all right, all right, what's going on? He still looks mean and angry. Like he could kill everybody, but he's just cowering away. Right. He's know. just squinting into the sun for a little bit, like observing shit. 
Yeah, yeah. And so I was really worried <laughs> it was it was going to end up being one of those movies where they're just like, he's got to come to be, right? Because like, I did a little bit of looking up kind of in this movie before. I'm like, hey, what year was it made? And, you know, who made it and stuff like that. And then when I saw that it was a trilogy, I, there was there were some fears. Uh, I was quickly okay. put to rest, though. Like, like you were like, oh, this one get, doesn't get good till the end, and the other two were legit movies. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think a lot of people, it's funny you bring that up, because I think a lot, like, I think it's kind of disputed, but, like, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly was the third one to be made. But mm-hmm. people talk about how, like, they think it's the the last one, or, or it's like a prequel. It's like the first one chronologically, because, like, he gets his signature poncho and and his hat and some other stuff. Um, but But there's mm-hmm. a bunch of dispute over which one's first, or whether he's even the same character in, in each movie. I mean, technically, he's the man with no name. Or some somewhere I said saw it written that he was Joe. Somebody calls him Joe in the movie, right? Yeah, the coffin maker's always calling him Joe. Yeah, he, he gets like every movie he gets like uh, nicknames, uh, but he's he doesn't ever actually like nobody's actually ever like, hey man, what's your name? Like it just never comes up. So like, never what, do you, what do you know, Joe? You know what I mean? Like a classic saying, but like. It's More good. They, it's good they went with Joe because, like, if they gave him any other, like, if a nickname would have been funny, you know what Arnold. I mean. But if they're like, "Hey, Steve," it's like, "Nah, that, that's <laughs> that's a name." I know, like Joe, I could let it slide. It's kind of like, hey, "Yeah, you don't know the guy. You just call him Joe, or you know, yeah. obviously not John Doe." But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you know, if you don't know who somebody is and there's a crime, and it's a John Doe, Joe, Joe, right? bag of donuts over here. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Joe coming into town here with no donuts. Let's shoot at him. <laughs> uh. Shoot his mule. I liked one of my favorite things is this movie didn't center around like robbing a train. I, I think that was that was something I was a little worried about too with westerns. You know what I mean? Like something always to do with the locomotive, man. Like you know these these steam powered trains and like oh it's full of gold and they're carrying gold and I mean there was yeah. some gold and there was a, a caravan train I suppose, but I only played like a a, a it yeah, kind of just got like the, it ball, the ball rolling. The plot. Yeah, exactly, right? So it was nice to see it wasn't like a train heist. It didn't really center around a heist in general. Like I said, there was no, a, it didn't. That, that it was action. just very much a, very much a, like a character that with this character, like he kind of shows up. The fact that he doesn't have a story means you're like, oh, what's his motive? And at first he's just like, I'm just going to fuck with these guys for money. But then through mm-hmm. uh, the, the woman and, and her husband and her kid, he, he kind of figures like, oh, I can actually do something like more than just like try to get a get a buck here and kind of puts everything on the line to help these people and then and then he goes and does it again for for his friend the innkeeper yeah and you know i I don't know i don't know if that's just like loyalty to the innkeeper because like the innkeeper's kind of the one who sorted everything out for him right like got him pointed in the right direction kind of set down the foundation and the basis for what was going on in the town so like in a weird westerny kind of way i guess they became friends felt like you owed it to him but yeah like with the woman it's kind of like you see a bit of a a bit of character in there right like he's like yeah he's basically a gun for hire and he's basically just a running through town trying to get a fistful of dollars right he just wants to get paid but he's got a conscience right so like he does get some money at one point and he gives it to the woman he's like just get the hell away from here and uh and it was like it was like oh okay i don't really i don't really understand why he's doing that it didn't really like I don't know. It didn't necessarily seem important, but obviously really? you know, with her character, I don't know. Like it just, it just seemed weird that he was like hell bent on helping this woman. 
like to the point where he was like risking his life like he could have easily just dealt with the two families i mean it, obviously in the movie it played out to be a much more significant part of the plot right but it was just well, like it's he's really... got no connection to this woman they're, they're like you know, so he literally the only thing that i really thought came of it was like you see his character development like that he's well, not yeah, that's, just a bad that is a thing like his his development centered around the fact that he's you know he he understands he comes to understand like you know it's more than just himself it's not all about him yeah and so we kind of like even though he's like got no ties right to anything that we know about he he learns that he can like care about people and be more than just a hired gun mm-hmm. or he always wants to be more than a hired gun but he's like i'm gonna be a hired gun quote unquote but then i'm gonna then i'm gonna like fuck everybody over but then he learns like oh well not only do i can i fuck these people over but i can fuck them over for good and help these innocent people he's like a I really do good like, shot uh, the way the they, man, yeah he's like chaotic chaotic good he's like sort of chaotic neutral at first but then kind of moves into like chaotic good sort of yeah, but, and that, uh, that's kind of the arc you see with that whole plot device there with the woman. I found, right? And I don't, yeah. And the same way that he goes back for his for his buddy at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I I like the way they kind of um, that. I don't I don't know how to describe what like how, what I like about it, but I kind of like that the fact that he like had no ties and and you get a glimpse into the fact that um he is coming from somewhere and that's like informing his his moral decisions when the when the family you know before he tells him to to skip town they say why are you helping us like this he says i knew all he says is i knew someone like you once and there was no one around to help yeah i was really profound that hit like as a like as like as an otherwise just like you know big fucking like dumb dude western like that hit as a really heavy moment that's like oh shit like it leaves a lot open for interpretation. What happened? Like, yeah. Was it a woman that he loved? What is? Was it his, like his parents? Like, was it... I, I would have assumed it would have been his mother. You know what I mean? And like that's like that. That was my first thought. Got... Based based on the relationship, when you see the boy kind of running across the street, and the boy again when they're kind of exchanging the prisoners, like it just kind of seemed fitting that he felt compelled to help, being like a helpless little boy. So yeah, that, that's I the way the I took same it. idea too. Like. Yeah, I saw the same idea too. I think he saw he saw like and there's like there's no right answer because he's the man with no name. Yeah, you kind of think whatever you want, but but it's kind of cool to think like maybe he saw that like when he saw the little boy, he was like, oh man, like that there, but for the grace of God, go go I kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I like mean, maybe it's... he related because of something that happened with his family. I would yeah, I would have assumed a, a family thing, but again, you're right. We we could speculate all day about you know, his past and all that, but really it's, it's another good thing the movie does. They, they leave this up to the interpretation of the viewer. And, uh, and that's, yeah, that's always good. Cause it always invokes the emotion. Yeah, you awesome. know what I mean? It's like invoking emotion without, or certain emotions without actually having to invoke particular emotions. It's kind of like, well, here's a line we can use and people will interpret it differently and that'll stir something up inside of them. And, and that'll get them thinking about different things. And, you know, that's, that's right. kind of important in a movie. Like, again, there, there's not really much content in this movie that is, uh, that throws you off or makes you think too much. Like it's, like I said, it's a very simple, uh, kind of film. So like when you have these moments where you're like, oh shit, I wonder if this is like that or like what, what could have gone on there? And the, the, I think the fact that we both came to the same conclusion might've been a popular conclu- uh, conclusion that some people came to, but, uh, Maybe, there definitely yeah. are others, you know? That he his his own parents were in a similar situation where things were taken from them and 
He's mm. like, well, I can prevent that, that from happening to these people. Yeah, so I mean, uh, redemption, self-redemption without really saying it, or without really explaining it, you know what I mean? So that was uh, that was pretty cool. I, I did like that. That was, it, it served its purpose, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's I one of the most memorable lines in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, take it back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you convinced <laughs> me. You convinced me. Um, there was, there was like, there was some cheesy things in the film, um, things that made, one of the, <clears throat> one of the things that made me laugh was some of the laughing in the film. So when everyone starts to figure out that, uh, the man with no name there, Joe Clint Eastwood's character is really kind of just screwing them. I think it's the Rojos capture him and yes, they're, they they're, they're torturing him basically. They're like, tell us where she is, blah, blah, blah. Tell us this. We want to know what you're doing and what you're up to. We don't, we don't like you. Every you're talking time, about Esteban, yeah, Esteban Rojo, like he he has a a very silly laugh. But the <laughs> best part about this was he's like every time Clint Eastwood gets hit in the face or knocked down or pushed over when they're kind of trying to beat stuff out of him, you just hear this <laughs> and he's smoking his cigar. Yeah, like, the fuck, he's cackling like, like a witch. <laughs> but only when he gets hit. Like it's not just like a, oh that's funny. It's like every time he gets hit, he thinks it's hilarious. You know what I mean? And I'm like, all right. Literally, you could yeah. you knew like after the first four times he gets hit, and he's laughing. You're like, all right, what happens when he gets hit the fifth time, or the tenth time, he laughs. or the twentieth time? And you just knew the laugh was coming, and I just couldn't help but laugh myself. I'm like, oh man, Jesus Christ! Like, control yourself. You're an adult. Yeah. You know, like it was funny the first few times, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like get a hold of yourself, man. It's not that funny. Yeah, right. It's like when somebody tells um, a dad joke and everyone kind of laughs for a little bit. And then somebody's just like literally crying, rolling on the floor, laughing. You're like, all right, man, like, it, oh boy, that's a, we're not telling any more dad jokes in front of that guy. That's man, fuck it. Like, that's like office humor. You know what I mean? Like, there's always someone where you where you work. Um, if especially if you're working in the office, somebody there's usually somebody that just like someone says just a generic stock joke. You know what I mean? Working hard or hardly working, and <laughs> someone's just... gonna laugh. Like uproariously, like they've never heard it before. It's like, did you hear? He said, "Working harder." And it's First like, time I heard all that right. one. <laughs> all right, all right, Alice, it's fine. Let's get back to the meet. And then the next day, the the next day, you're in the break room, and Alice comes in. It's like, hey, remember working harder, hardly working? It's like, yeah, no, I, we we it's it's a thing. Like it's not. Yeah. You gotta stop doing this. Yeah, I'm laughing so hard right now because that's exactly the kind of generic joke that if somebody laughs at at work, you're just kind of like, yeah, no, like I don't want to talk to that person anymore. Even if it's just like a yeah. chuckle, you know what I mean? Like that joke is like working hard or hardly working. You know, you're like fucking. You just you just you play that off with a fuck off. You, you give know? them a courtesy laugh, a courtesy. You're like, ha ha, god, yeah, god. I don't even think you go. Ah, I think you go. You just... ah. And then. <laughs> You oh, give yeah. him a half a laugh. A big sarcastic laugh. Ha ha. Yeah. Like, especially if your boss comes by, is like working uh, hard or hardly working? You're like, if I fucking tell you I'm hardly working, I'm going to get fired. And if I tell you I'm working hard, you're going to give me more shit to do. Fuck off. <laughs> I love it, though, because as soon as you're like, generic office joke, I'm like, working hard, hardly working. And then you say it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one. That's the one that you, everyone knows. You don't have to be you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure you're... You're crazy working here. Because why? Because you have a glass of wine on Friday and two on Saturday? Okay. TGIF. (laughs) You're like, why are you laughing? Why are you fucking... Those are just letters. That's not... That doesn't comprise a joke. 
I think. But, uh, uh, did you see? You see? Um, like, there's that that comedian. Like, everybody's seen it now. Like the guy who's doing the, um, the Scott guy, Scott Sice, doing the IKEA jokes. I don't know if I have. He like says. Uh, he like says the stuff that, that like people say at joke when you're in customer service or something. It's just like I bring it up because there's one where he's like working hard or hardly working. He's like I'm hardly laughing. Yes. True. I that's a good, a good response. response. It's not bad. Like I don't have time to have a second job pretending you're funny. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they don't pay me enough to laugh at your shitty jokes. Uh, yeah. Move no, along. Agreed. Agreed. Move along. Uh, so I I thought that was so the laugh the laugh yeah it 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 gets tired pretty quick and i just kept laughing because i was like well yeah. this is what you'd expect from uh this kind of film like it, and it's... i mean this movie like they, they they shot this movie with the actors speaking english but this it's, all the audio was dubbed like all the dialogue is dubbed yeah which is uh, yeah. that's like uh state was a staple or not a, so much a staple but just a convention of italian filmmaking at the time i think Maybe it was but something to do dubbed. with like it was tell. it was better audio quality when they dubbed it. They were able to do it like in a studio type deal. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because like, like the sound like, equipment they could have afforded in in 1960s Italy just might not have been there yet. It makes sense, right? Like you got a two hundred thousand dollar budget. You're not springing for ten thousand dollars with a sound equipment. That's almost as much as you're paying your lead role. You know what I mean? Right. You got you got so much more to spend money on when you have like a. I'm just a mad. You know what I mean? It's like a movie on a. It's gonna say a movie on a spaghetti strand fucking budget, but it's a shoe. It's a shoelace <laughs> budget. Man. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't. I don't know why I said that. I continued on like it was. Yeah. Go fuck yourself, Pat. I thought it was funny, and then I said it, and I realized not, not at all funny. But it's it's a it's this is a very tight budget. Uh, that's my laugh at your joke. That my genuine laugh. Ah. Uh, I'm so fucking mad at you right now. Just gonna take a drink. I'm gonna recoup my brain. All right. That's great because we can use that as shorthand on the podcast now. Anytime one of us does a joke that sucks, the other one would be like, ha, and we'll know what it means. Yeah, you don't have to tell me my jokes are bad. You can just half laugh. Well, and, and yeah, everyone, exactly. will, everyone will know. Yeah. We'll all know. Um, I think, well, all right. So back, back to things that I thought were funny and or just kind of just obviously just poorly, poorly done or just seemed inappropriate i suppose was like out of nowhere so clint eastwood he goes to watch this army the mexican army go with the gold down to do this whole exchange between what they thought were the the u.s and i don't know what they were exchanging yep. for for guns right so yes they think they were doing all this and then uh i believe the the innkeeper is like oh, where are you going man i'll come with you so he rides along with with joe the unmanned name there and they are not spotted they leave their horses like maybe 10 feet behind some a very apparent man-made constructed curb that just happens to be in the perfect spot where they're like, oh, let's lay down on it. Let's go prone here and look in with our binoculars right. and stuff like that. I just remember seeing that curb and being like, that's not natural. That's the, you know what I mean? Like you could have used a sand dune or anything like that, but I guess it was just kind of like, this is the best filming location we've got. We have to put some kind of barrier there to make sure that... Uh, uh, it, it's obvious that they can't be seen because they're hiding behind a six-inch tall curb. I just, it right. Just, it just seemed out of place. So again, this was pretty early on in the movie, and I was kind of like, "Shit, what am I? What am I getting myself into here?" So, so I, they, you're, 
you're saying uh, there was like something that was supposed to be like a regular, like supposed to be a natural formation of rock or dirt or something, but it looked obvious that it was like, yeah, like does that that they made? It was yeah, it was it was very it, it was like very clearly like very artificial, like not even natural looking. You know what I mean? Like they try to go for a natural look by making it the same color as the sand and the dirt. Uh huh. But it was like very obvious that that's not. Either that or it was a really, really, really unique rock formation that just happened to show up on this perfect flat ground right where they were going to lie down and stuff like that. So, again, like, when I first started watching this movie, I just wasn't sure what to expect. So, when they, you know, there, there's some things there where you're just looking at them and you're like, oh, man, what am I getting myself into? I think this was about 20 minutes into the movie. I'm like, I still got, you know, like an hour and a bit left. Like, what are we, what are we looking at here? Like, is it... Is there going to be a lot of bad props? Is there going to be a lot of really overly cheesy stuff? And uh, as the movie carried on, I, I really didn't have any any notes to make. Any any really real critiques. Like, it just kind of it drew me in. Like, I really got drawn in by the story once I got past this whole uh, cheaply the done. Gorilla filmmaking, yeah. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. Like, it just, like, I was, once I got into it, and, like, once things started kind of, coming together basically when the bartender starts explaining what exactly what joe is doing is when i'm like yep mm -hmm. this is gonna be good uh i thought that was kind of one of the funny things too because it's like here's you in the middle and here are the two warring families and if you get stuck over here you're you know if one of them goes away then you're stuck just against that whole family and it's kind of like you know you i didn't know it at the time but he's basically being like well he's going to have to solve these problems all at once. You know what I mean? And how's he going to do that? And you're like, how the fuck is he going to do that? Cause it's going to be pretty hard to fight, you know, one gang or the other, if he gets rid of one of them, or if they both find out he's screwing them, which eventually they kind of do. Uh, how are you going to get out of that? And so I was True. like, Oh shit, this bartender knew exactly what was going to happen or what exactly what he had to do in order to basically, yeah, he gives him everything he needs. And just, and basically and just like... a one simple line, like in one very short scene. And then it plays yeah. out for like an hour, and it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a good storytelling and uh, impressive that there's not a lot of elements to it, but the elements that that go in there are well used. It's like it's like a recipe that turns out a really great dish, but it's only like three ingredients or something. But it's just the way it's prepared makes for a great a great dish. I'm not gonna lie, I, I've. Uh... My wife really enjoys the Chef Ramsay cooking shows. And I don't know if he actually said this in real life or it was something that I pulled from South Park, but I was just laughing my ass off because I was watching this movie. And it's 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 simple. It's classic. And it's just, it, it was it was really great for that. And there's a line that, I, I know it's from South Park. I don't know if Chef Ramsay actually said it, but he's like, simple, rustic, right, fantastic. And I was like, yeah, right. I, I said that to myself a few times watching this film. Like, it was just... It was a classic Western film, really simple, but it was excellent. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. it, I only really brought that up because you're like, yeah, three ingredients make a good dish. I'm like, sometimes that's all it needs. You know what I mean? Sometimes right. meat, meat and potatoes is better than, uh, you know, like you don't want to get it, but you know, when you, you know, when you get a little adventurous in cooking and you're, and you put a, you, you put it together this meal and it's good and everything, but you're looking at your kitchen, you're like, I, I, dirtied like 17 pots and pans because yeah. I had to make the sauce in here and I had to 
make the chicken in this one and then saute the vegetables in the other one before I put them all together. And it's like, yeah. ah, what a pain in the ass. Like, the, the, the meal's good, but is it good enough to warrant it that now I have to spend an hour getting my fucking kitchen clean? Probably not. Now that you mentioned, I think the only simple dish that I hate cleaning up after is anything that you bread. Because you got to have, like, the flour, the egg, and the breadcrumbs. You know what I mean? That's the only yeah, simple dish I would complain about, about about dishes. You know what I mean? Like, when you got three different bowls, and they all have chicken juice in them, so it's not like you can just, like... You can't just simply wipe them out. You know what I mean? Like, a flour bowl, you know, like, if you're making something, then you pour flour into something, like, measure it into a bowl, and you pour it into another bowl. You can give that, you can give that a wipe. I'm not too worried about that. You know what I mean? But as soon as you yeah. throw raw chicken in there, you know, that... that that's a dirty dish, man. That requires got to go with the dishwasher. Legitimate yeah. sanitation. Exactly. Uh, this movie was like there's somebody's no already pre yeah somebody's already pre breaded this shit. All you got to do is pop it in the uh, pop it in the oven or the deep fryer or the air fryer, whatever kind of device you've got to cook breaded chicken in. And, right. And that was it. And it was just a pure enjoyment. You know what I mean? I I, I really quite enjoyed the simplicity. You know me. I don't like like especially if I'm trying to enjoy a film. I don't want to have to overly yeah. think. Like sometimes I like a movie with a good twist, like The Sixth Sense at the end, where it's like, "Ooh, you were dead the whole time," and it's like, "Wait a second, what the fuck?" And then you start running through everything that happened in the movie. Like, did that really happen? This movie was just a a badass western, and at the end, the end, the finale, the final showdown. What a scene that was! I had a few. Uh, there, there, I had one qualm with that final scene, but uh, it, I put it to rest myself. Um, so that final scene when he's fighting the Rojos and, you know, they've decimated the other family, like shot and burnt their, I don't know, sanctuary down, whatever you want to call it. Their, their, their hut, yeah. their gang house, their house, well, what, house what, is the word you're looking for. What, what's the, <laughs> uh, it's a house. Yeah. But no, there's like another word for it. walls and a roof and compound. furniture and bedrooms their in there. Their compound. Yeah, okay. I like, I like compound better. Um, yeah, so after that, like it's just like he Same walks place. in and he's got himself like a he's fashioned himself a, a bulletproof vest. Like nobody's ever thought about that before. It was really Yeah. Pretty sweet. Like he starts shooting this and, metal and it's like, oh okay. And it was it was foreshadowed really well because before he, he meets like the other the rest of the Rojo gang and the Rojo brothers first mm -hmm. and he sees the suit of armor that has like all the bullet holes around the heart. Like he, a heart the, shape of bullet yeah. holes and then more bullet and holes. And Don Miguel's yeah. And Don Miguel's like, oh, that's uh, my brother Ramon uses that for target practice. So he kind of looks at it and like he, he's kind of like fascinated with this suit of armor with the bullet holes in it for a second. And then it but there's, kind of, uh, there's another scene, too, like a really in, important scene where he actually says the only way to take down a man is to shoot him in the heart or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like, and that's it's, when it's he shoots the suit of armor in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. So like the whole thing is foreshadowed well, and that's. That's when I kind of was like, all right, I'm not going to look too, too far into this. But I'm thinking at the same time, it's pretty ballsy just to walk in. Like, he could easily just shot him in the head, and that would have been it. Yeah, so, like, this final showdown scene. Gets, right? Especially when he gets shot in the heart a couple times and gets up, and he's like, shoot a man in the heart to uh, to take him down. Right, Ramon? And that's when I'm thinking, like, man, you, like... You're gonna give it away. Like he's gonna be like, "Oh, he's telling me to shoot him in the heart. Maybe yeah. I'll shoot him in his fucking face, yeah. and then it's over." <laughs> it would have been even funnier if he's just like, "Yeah." So this whole scene, he's just like getting shot. Like I think those guns hold about like 15 rounds, like preloaded or whatever. Like it's quite a few bullets. He pops off on him. And I'm thinking yeah. like 
if you're not frustrated, why like fucking just fall down, like shoot him in the foot or the leg? You know what I mean? Then he'd be like, right. oh, okay, so he's not an invincible human being. He's just got something like, over clearly, his heart. Clearly, the heart's not working. I guess, I guess, because it's like like probably 1887 or something. Like he can't conceptualize a bulletproof vest. Like he's got no. There's no like precedent for that, so he can't just. Con- so he's so thinking, this is like, the first example of something that can stop a bullet that a person can wear. Probably, may- I, maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it it must be. Or right? the first, the first that he's aware of, right? Right, because like he, he would have thought... this look on his face, like he's legit creeped out. Like he's like, is something supernatural going on? Yeah. You know, it must the, be because now that I think about it, like, wouldn't you have thought that like armies, conventional armies, would have tried to give people like body armor all the way as soon as black powder was invented? Like, it's like all of a sudden guns were invented. Like, nothing can stop these. Why even try? Why? Maybe. <laughs> and, and so, <laughs> I don't know. Right. And so I'm just kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, hmm. All right. So I, I, I guess it makes sense. Maybe he couldn't conceptualize the fact that, um a bulletproof vest could exist. But at the same time, he took a big gamble. So the whole scene, I'm just watching, I'm like, don't get shot in the face, man, or all of this was for nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it just, yeah. especially when the guy's getting frustrated, right? It's just like, right. why Why wouldn't he just shoot him somewhere else? Like, maybe well, it was a point of pride. Like, 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 I can, I'm such a good shot that I'll, I'll definitely take you down by shooting you in the heart. More or less, and he's like, "Go ahead, shoot me in the heart, Ramon. I want you to shoot me in the heart." Like, wouldn't he just think, like, "Okay, if that's what he wants, then he's obviously up to something." Gonna shoot him in the. Fu- Could you the imagine he was a really bad liar, where he's like, "Shoot me in the heart, but not not the face, not the face." And he's just <laughs> waving his hands around, like, anywhere but the face. Shoot me, shoot me. Listen, shoot me in the steel plate over my heart. Yeah, Nowhere yeah. else. Oh, oops. I mean, only shoot me where my chest is. Anywhere else, and you're a cheater. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah. <clears throat> that part for me, I was just kind of like, man, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've seen enough action movies where if a guy's not getting the results with the first, let's just say the first 12 bullets, chances yeah. are the 13th bullet's going upstairs. True, but I guess in the movie's defense, Ramon has not seen any action movies. Yeah, that's true. I don't, they probably had silent films back then. Literally motion pictures. Like I don't think that came till like nineteen ten or something. I don't know. On the can't, fucking the Nickelodeon. Can't fact check that shit. Not till after. We're gonna we're gonna have to look that up after. When was the first motion picture? I don't even know what the first one would be called. The first movie would Mo- be called Moving Pictures. Moving Pictures. There you go. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's where movie comes from. Movie's short for moving picture. Okay, but so imagine he hasn't seen any action films, but like e- even still, you'd think, you know, when you see like a zombie movie and like nobody knows how to deal with these zombies, like everyone nowadays he hasn't would be like, seen oh. any zombie movies. Uh, okay, dude. this is what I'm saying. So the people in these movies of zombie movies, like they have no idea how to deal with zombies. Us as onlookers, we're That's like, true. you gotta That's take true. the head off. You gotta take. You gotta shoot him in the head. But it doesn't take 14 bullets to be like, oh, For them maybe I'll them. shoot yeah. them in the head. It's kind of like they shoot them like seven or eight times. Right, which is still fewer times than Ramon shot Joe in the heart and had no results. Yeah. Before they're like, that's not working. And then somebody accidentally shoots one in the head and they're like, oh, headshots. Headshots. I'm, yeah. I think there's it's always that scene where someone's, 
there's always that scene in zombie movies where someone like just shouts to the people of the other barricades like, hey, you got to shoot him in the head. And that like turns the tide of the you fight. You got to destroy they... the brain. And they're like, well, I, I still have problems with that whole premise. But yes, I get it. <laughs> their, their only weakness is destroying yeah. their dead brain. Um, and like but, the zombie yeah. zombie movies take place in universe where like nobody's seen zombie movies, which is kind of weird. At the same time, this movie must have taken place where nobody has seen body armor that stops bullets. Well, yeah. So anyway, we've so that we've was it. We've that. Exa- yeah, we've exhausted. Yeah, I, I, I think I think like literally we're we're, we're grasping at straws here. Uh, I think that's. Uh, that's all you can say, man. Like this movie, the, the the fact that we're sitting here talking about like, well, he could have just shot him in the head. We're, yeah, grasping at straws, man. This movie was really well done on a fucking really really small budget. I think I think it was knocked out of the park, man. I just I just loved it. I loved it, and I haven't seen a lot of westerns, so this for me was like uh, kind of interesting, being that one of the first classic westerns I've seen was a. Uh, "Quote unquote spaghetti, spaghetti western, or macaroni western," um, and I really enjoyed it, man. So you know what? I'm actually curious now. I, I would like to go and watch like uh, another classic western developed in the West, like developed in America, and then I would love to watch mm-hmm. uh, the, you know the the next two movies in this trilogy that uh, this this movie yeah. spurred. So or spurred. So that's a good idea. Yeah, what a doing just, an old school just for my own personal Hollywood western would be a good. Yeah, I, I think just for my own personal kind of like, okay, so what do I prefer and what's done better and uh, and why are they called spaghetti That's westerns? That's kind of what this podcast is, is about. Right, just kind of finding our That's what this podcast team. is really about. It's just kind of, yeah, kind of getting more literate in terms of, of film and exposing ourselves to different stuff. So yeah, spaghetti westerns, now we can cross that off the list and I think come so. back to it for more. I, th- I you know what I think it's going to be hard to uh and that's one of those things too is like maybe we shouldn't consider this uh, a, a spaghetti western in the sense that we know it is in every sense of the definition but I I almost have to see like another director's take on it and see oh, yeah. see what that looks like right so maybe what I'll do is I'll I'll end up watching another you know an, an American western movie and then I'll watch uh, a different director's spaghetti western but I definitely want to finish up this trilogy I think that's something that I'll I'll make time for in the near future. Um, so you know what I'm gonna go. With. That being said, I was really impressed with the movie. I I gave it. A, I think I think I gave it a fair rating, but it's pretty high. I gave it a two point seven five at a three point five rating, uh, just for nice. its, just for the movie being that enjoyable. Uh, I had my doubts in the beginning, but I really came around and, and just enjoyed enjoyed the film after that. I enjoyed it as well. There were, uh, it was a little bit like, I don't know why, but towards the end, um, in like the third act, I felt like I was like, I didn't have to pay super close attention. Like I kept like, I was like making mac and cheese or something and was like stirring my mac and cheese and then turned to look because I'm watching macaroni Western, obviously, <laughs> uh, making Cheetos mac and cheese I've is got what you do. just the perfect meal <laughs> for this macaroni Western. <laughs> with a box with Chester the Cheetah right on it there. Mm. Here we go. Do you guys have that in Alberta yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah got, it's good. Anyway, you know what? Give your rating. We'll definitely be talking about some strange-ass macaroni <laughs> flavors in the after hours there. We probably that, should. That, that should but be yeah, warranted. Uh, yeah, I found it was like uh, ju- just a delightful uh, action film without too many bells and whistles attached, and I thought that was 
delightful and charming. I gave it a 2.8 stars out of three and a half. Fantastic. Well, we're right on par. We're going to have to yeah. find a, de- a device, uh, you know, divisive movie. One of these days. We I'm will. sure we're going to come across one that's just going to be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, like it might come down to be like, I'll book a flight. No, you book a flight. <laughs> we'll have to fight. We're going to have to fight. We'll, we'll have to meet somewhere in the middle. Wherever the cheapest plane tickets are. Maybe Vegas. And then we can party after we, we fight. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Like, it's cheap to go uh, to Vegas, right? That's not the middle, but it's, I guess. It's closer for me, but it's I'm pretty sure it's cheap for both of us. I don't know. I feel you like... You like, walk there. Everyone's fine. <laughs> Just get on my horse and ride through Montana. Down through Colorado Way. <laughs> Past California. I won't have to go into California. California. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, all right. That's it. I think that's fair. I think that's I think our yeah, that was a good one. So uh, I want to say thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Bladed Box Office Podcast. 